and my blood sugar did go up, but it went right back down, which is a sign of good insulin sensitivity. And that's the Manjaro working because of my own. My body just was not that sensitive to insulin previously, so it just did not work that well. It would stay up for hours and hours and hours, maybe close to a day it would stay high and then eventually start going lower, but not anymore. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, welcome back for another episode. I really appreciate the fact that you're taking your time here with me today. I hope it's a great episode for you. I would like to ask you a favor. I'd like to ask you to please share this episode, share it with someone that you care about, and I would appreciate that a whole lot. So looking at my week this past week, I've been on a cruise ship for actually a little bit over a week. It's been nine days was on a cruise ship. Just got back today and I was on board Royal Caribbean's Vision of the Seas. And Vision of the Seas is one of their older ships. It's certainly one of their smaller ships. Sailing out of the port of Baltimore requires one of these smaller, older ships. But I'm happy with it. It has everything on there that I like, everything I need. It has the Diamond Lounge where I get my cappuccino every morning. And it has good shows and good entertainment. And I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun. So it was a good cruise for me. I did pack some foods for myself. I packed some protein shakes and some Quest protein bars. So I had that to supplement my eating. I have mentioned in the past that on board a cruise ship, things tend to be very carbohydrate-centered in what they offer, lots of breads and pastas and rice and potatoes. Well, because quite frankly, a lot of people eat that way, but it's also cheap. So I think that's why they center their food offerings around that. As far as meats and vegetables, they do have that as well, but the offerings aren't quite as extensive. So I find it's a lot easier when I bring along a protein shake for each day, protein bar for each day, and adding those things in really helps a lot. So it was a good cruise. A lot of fun times. We went down to the private destination, Castaway Key, in the Bahamas, stopped at Nassau, also spent an overnight in Bermuda in the beginning part of the cruise. So it was a fun adventure, great weather, a couple of showers maybe in the passing, maybe a couple of showers at night, but all in all, it was really nine days of really nice weather in the mid-80s every day and for the most part sunny. So I really enjoyed myself on that. If you want to look at my numbers for this week, I did manage to close my rings five out of seven days. I did not close them today, just getting back from the cruise, getting things unpacked. And then one other day on the cruise ship, it was a little windy outside. We were sailing. I didn't feel like going to the gym, so I just did not get in a long walk that day. So five out of seven days. For my seven-day average glucose reading, it was 109. 
which is really great, especially considering now that, you know, I'm not on the Farsiga anymore. And so I'll take a 109 average 24-7 anytime. My body fat percentage is hanging steady at 21.0%. And my macros for the week, like I said, I was on the cruise ship for this past entire week. And my macros have averaged 95 grams of carbohydrates each day and 123 grams of protein. Those aren't quite at my goal. The carbohydrates are just a little bit higher than I normally have them. Not much. And the protein is a little bit lower than I normally have it, but not much. And again, I attribute that to the fact that, you know, the cruise ship offerings aren't exactly what I would normally eat at home. But I did manage to stay pretty close. So I'm happy with that. For my Manjaro update, you know, I'm still at this 7.5 milligram dose. I've been here now for several months. It is now my sole medication that I'm taking for type 2 diabetes, and it seems to be doing a really, really good job. Not only is my insulin sensitivity great, you know, if I do have a high carbohydrate meal, like the one day at Coco Key, I did have my favorite chicken sandwich. It's sort of like a Chick-fil-A or a Popeye's chicken sandwich and mozzarella sticks. That's like my go-to treat lunch. Whenever I get down to that location, I have that. And, you know, that's pretty high in carbohydrates. That might be close to 80, 90, and I have to look it up, but a lot of carbohydrates in just that one meal. And my blood sugar did go up, but it went right back down, which is a sign of good insulin sensitivity. And that's the Manjaro working because of my own. My body just was not that sensitive to insulin previously, so it just did not work that well. It would stay up for hours and hours and hours, maybe close to a day it would stay high and then eventually start going lower, but not anymore. The Manjaro really makes that behave like a person without type 2 diabetes issues. And, you know, it's doing the job all by itself without the Farsiga and, you know, just my eating and movement seems to be really doing well. So I imagine myself being at the 7.5 milligram dose for some time to come. For my challenge and win this week, I'd say, you know, the challenge, of course, being on a cruise ship, you're constantly surrounded with the sweets and the treats and the excesses of crews having buffets and restaurants available almost 24-7, a lot of pizzas and things like that. But I really think I did a great job of avoiding much of the sweets and treats and excesses. I did have some of their sweets, and one of the benefits of being loyal to Royal is once, at least once during the cruise, they'll deliver stuff to your stateroom. So I came back one afternoon and I found a nice little tray of, I think there was a little miniature Rice Krispie treat and I don't know, two or three different little treats. And when I say little, there may be one inch by inch and a half size little mini servings and a little plate. And I did enjoy those. That was pretty much, I think, the only sweets that I had for the entire cruise. So I'm going to call that one a win. When we look at the news this week, I've got some great articles here. The first one is how to eat to manage diabetes. And these are the top 10 tips from this article. And I'm just going to read through them here. It's things that I think we know about already. But an article like this I find is a really great reminder, especially maybe you're newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or for any of us. I think maybe it's a good reminder just to have in the back of our heads 
you know, when we go about planning our eating for the day. Now, I don't hold with all of these, but generally speaking, I think these are good recommendations. So let's go down through the list. First one, limit your intake of refined carbohydrates like white bread and rice. So yes, this is very true. Now, a lot of these refined carbohydrates are a lot worse than white bread and rice. You know, cookies, crackers, chips, that type of thing contain the refined carbohydrates. If you're eating something that comes from a grain and its first ingredient is not that whole grain, then, you know, it's been, it's been refined. The second tip here is to rely less on processed foods as these often contain a lot of salt. Now, again, they contain, you know, highly processed foods, or sometimes they're called ultra-processed foods, contain a lot of things that are worse, in my opinion, than just salt. They contain all kinds of preservatives and often lots of extra sugars and all kinds of things. Plus, they're processed in such a way. Take a Dorito, for example. It's a perfect combination of seasoning and salt and sugar. And it's processed in such a way that it literally melts in your mouth. You don't, I don't know, I think it's impossible to get full eating Doritos because they just sort of dissolve to nothing. And they're engineered, a lot of very smart people put a lot of time and money into engineering these processed foods to make them highly palatable and to make them in a way that you're going to want to continue to eat and eat and eat. So yes, certainly rely less on processed foods. If you can, just forget about them. Number three, avoid processed meats, such as bacon, ham, and sausages. It's true that some of the things they use to process or to cure things like bacon or to make deli-style lunch meats, they can have some ingredients in there that are maybe are not too terribly helpful. However, you can get things like uncured bacon. You can get just sliced turkey or sliced roast beef that's actually hardly processed at all except maybe for some, again, some salt added or whatnot. But you can really get a variety of meats and bacons and hams and sausages that if you don't like nitrates or whatever, you can have them without. I quite frankly love bacon. Really like ham and sausages, things like that. I don't see a problem with it, but that's me. The recommendation here is to avoid them. Number four, eat more fruits and vegetables at mealtimes and as snacks. Yes, I'm all for that. Vegetables unlimited, in my opinion. Fruits, for me personally, I have to stick with things like berries and maybe apples, things like that. But if I get into a lot of the bananas, you know, bananas, grapes, things like that, it's so easy to eat a lot of that. And for me, I see the, the spike in blood sugar. It says get healthy fats from nuts, seeds, avocados, olive oil, oily fish, things like that. And yeah, healthy fats to me are fantastic. In fact, that's part of the main topic today is eating healthy fats and why it's good if you have type 2 diabetes. Number six, reduce your intake of sugary foods and drinks. You know, I might edit that and I say eliminate your intake of sugary foods and drinks most of the time. Sugary foods and drinks, empty calories, so to speak, are to me my number one problem issue. Thing It's a thing that I have to really stay away from, really avoid. Probably more than anything on this list. Number seven, snack on yogurt, seeds, fruits, or vegetables. 
Okay, this is a little redundant with some of their earlier recommendations, but yeah, absolutely. Whole foods, natural foods, foods in their original state, wonderful to snack on. Limit alcohol intake to 14 units a week maximum. I think that's like two drinks a day. Avoid binge drinking and go several days a week without it. Well, okay, I don't drink a whole lot. Maybe for you that might be difficult. Maybe that's something to look at. Maybe you don't drink at all. I don't know. Anyway, it just says here, limit to two a week, two a day for 14 a week maximum. Number nine, it says avoid so-called diabetic foods. And what it's talking about here are things like sugar, alcohols, non-nutritive or artificial sweeteners, if you will. And, you know, people debate that and say if it's good or bad, but compared to sugar, regular sugar, if you have type 2 diabetes, I don't think it's even a question that a non-nutritive sweetener is less disruptive to your type 2 diabetes than, in, for example, a regular sugary food. So I'm not so sure about that one. Number 10, get your essential nutrients from eating a mixture of different foods, not supplements. And I am you know, one to tell you that I do add a protein shake from time to time, especially if I'm not home, if I'm not cooking my own food. I will add a, a protein shake because, you know, at 30 grams of protein, it is a great addition, a great supplement to my normal whole food eating because sometimes you just don't have nice chicken breast or whatever handy. So having a quick shake can be helpful. So, yeah, I agree that the vast majority of your food should be natural whole food, but to me, once in a while, adding in a supplement, especially if you're trying to hit protein goals, is really not a bad thing. Okay, good article. This next one here, it says Diabetes Association Updates Liver Disease Screening Guidelines. So this is interesting. What they found here is that 70% of people with type 2 diabetes have liver disease. And it's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is most common. And, you know, that's being recognized as a major complication of having diabetes. So what they're recommending here is that people get tested for this earlier. And what they normally do, I think, is they take, you know, just blood work, normal blood work, and they can check your enzymes in your liver. And that can point to having issues. And then they can do ultrasounds. There's a lot of things they can do to see if you have that. And that would be, you know, more reason to make changes to your lifestyle, perhaps look at updating your medication, things like that. And if you do have fatty liver disease, you know, it can be caused by excessive drinking or what they have also here is this non-alcohol fatty liver disease. And that's usually what the type 2 diabetics get. And, you know, it's something seriously to be concerned about because your liver is an extremely important organ and it's just yet one more of these complications that can come from having type 2 diabetes. All right, this next one. For type 2 diabetics who exercise, some approaches are better than others. Now, we talk about exercise from time to time, and it's certainly good for general health, and it's good for your overall fitness and helps reduce all-cause mortality, things like that. And basically, in this article, they're saying, you know, in short, any movement is good and more is generally better. 
What they're recommending here, as we've often talked about, combining aerobic exercise with strength training, and they're finding that, that helps you with your type 2 diabetes in two ways. First of all, it burns up sugar that's in your blood. You know, it helps get rid of that directly, but it also can make your insulin sensitivity improve. It can allow your body to more quickly get blood sugar into your muscles to replace that sugar that was used up during exercise. So certainly, if you have type 2 diabetes or anyone in general, it's hard to say that getting in regular and routine exercise is not a positive thing for you. All right, let's look at this last one here. Now, this is a little bad news on the future front here, but it says in 2050, more than 1.3 billion people will have diabetes. Now, this is worldwide. And, you know, 2050, what is that, 27 years from now? So it's not a whole, a whole lot into the future. Um, I might still be around, who knows. But it's saying that while there was 529 million people with diabetes in 2021, that's going to be up to over 1.3 billion by 2050. And they're just looking at the trend. They're looking at what's happened over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and they're just predicting that into the future. And they're saying that if something urgent is not done, and that's going up higher than the population rate is going up. In fact, in a lot of countries, the population is going down. Not in all countries, obviously. I mean, the worldwide population is still going up. But this is, this is sort of shocking to think that in less than 30 years, we could have over double, close to triple the amount of people with type 2 diabetes. I'm hoping that does not continue. I'm hoping that we wise up and can stay away from some of these sugary processed foods that I think, in my opinion, really is the cause of a lot of this increase in type 2 diabetes. But time will tell. Let's look back in 27 years and, and see how this prediction turned out. Okay, let's look at the main topic for today. Like I mentioned last week, I want to talk about why I don't necessarily care about or worry about eating fat when I'm solving my type 2 diabetes. Each week I report on the amount of carbohydrates I eat, the amount of protein I eat, down to the gram, averaged over the course of a week. And I'm very meticulous about tracking that. What I'm not so meticulous about tracking is the fat I eat. Fat is one of the three macronutrients you have. You have carbohydrates and proteins and fat. Those are the things that we all eat. And we have micronutrients as well, vitamins, minerals, things like that. But mainly we look at the fat, the protein, and the carbohydrates that we eat. So why don't I report out on the fat I eat? Why don't I worry about tracking it terribly much if I have a teaspoon or a teaspoon and a half of butter I don't measure that I look at it and estimate it and I move on and obviously things are going well for me so why is that well I've found in my own personal experience that fat does absolutely nothing in raising or lowering my blood sugar in fact if anything when I eat fat along with carbohydrates, the rise in my blood sugar is reduced. It's tamped down, attenuated, if you will. 
And that's for me personally, that's what I found. But the fact is eating fat does not raise the blood sugar level because fats are digested and absorbed differently than carbohydrates. When you consume carbohydrates, they're, they're broken down into sugar, glucose, right in the digestive system, starting in your mouth. Your saliva starts that process, starts to break down complex carbohydrates directly into glucose. Everything that you eat that's a carbohydrate eventually ends up as glucose. And then those go into the bloodstream and it increases your blood sugar levels, right? Sugar in the bloodstream, that's what blood sugar levels are. And that's why you consume something with high carbohydrates like I did with my chicken sandwich and mozzarella sticks because, you know, all that's breaded, comes in a big brioche bun, the chicken is breaded, the mozzarella sticks are breaded. I think the marinara sauce probably absolutely has sugar in it. So that's a lot of carbohydrates, and that's what causes the rapid rise in the blood sugar levels. But in contrast, fats are broken down into fatty acids and something called glycerol during digestion. And these are absorbed into the bloodstream through the lymphatic system and transported to various tissues for energy storage or to be used up. Fatty acids don't raise the blood sugar levels because they're not ever converted into glucose. Also, fat consumption, eating fat, can trigger the release of hormone like insulin or glucagon, which can actually help regulate the blood sugar levels. Insulin promotes the storage of these nutrients, including fats, while glucagon stimulates the breakdown of stored nutrients to provide energy. So these are hormonal responses that help maintain stable blood sugar. They're natural, they're normal, and they occur even after eating a high-fat meal. And that's what I talked about earlier in an episode about calories in versus calories out and why just going by the amount of calories you eat won't predict necessarily weight gain or weight loss because that way of counting just completely eliminates all these hormonal responses. So something to consider though, and this is something that you really can't forget and I don't forget either. Fat doesn't directly raise blood sugar levels, but if you eat too much, including if you eat too much fat, you're going to gain weight. And insulin resistance and other health issues are shown to be worsened when you are overweight. Having a balanced, a moderate approach to eating fat is, is, generally speaking, considered to be healthy for you and healthy for your blood sugar management. So you don't have to worry about eating too much fat unless it means that you're eating too much overall. When you're consuming a lot more energy than you're, than you're using, you're going to store most of it. That's what your body is designed to do. So what kind of fats should you be looking at? Well, monosaturated fats, those are fats like in, I don't know, avocados or olive oil or peanuts or almonds. They've been shown to actually reduce your LDL levels. And some people are concerned about having too much low-density cholesterol, low-density lipids. And if you don't want to have high amounts of LDL, then they say monosaturated fats can be helpful. Also, omega-3 fats, fats in fish, walnuts, flaxseed, chia seeds, and believe it or not, hemp seeds, all edible, they have large amounts of these omega-3 fatty acids. And, you know, those are used in the brain function. 
It's been said that they can help lower the risk of heart disease by keeping everything inside your vessels loose and lubricated. So that's a great thing. Now the other one is called omega-6 fatty acids, and those are something in today's diet we tend to get way too much of. We don't get enough omega-3s, we do get too much of omega-6s. That's because a lot of these omega-6s are used in highly processed foods. They're used in like soybean oil, corn oil, things like that. And often in processed foods, they're you know really packed with these omega-6 fatty acids. So chances are, if you're like me, you could be getting too much of those fats if you're eating processed foods. Now, what's a good food to eat that's just great, has great types of fat? It's nuts and seeds. The old CrossFit instruction, eat meat and veg, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no added sugar. So the nuts and seeds are a key component to having good, healthy amounts of fats. Now, I also enjoy butter, olive oil, things like that. Some people might not like those, but for me, I personally see nothing wrong with butter. Okay, let's take a look at your questions. We have several this week, so I want to get through these. I'm always happy to get questions, comments, feedback from you. If you would like to write into the podcast, there's two easy ways to do it. The first is to just send me an email. Real simple. Tom at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. And I'll get that email and be happy to share it on the podcast. The second way is to go over to the website, SolvingType2Diabetes.com, and click on Feedback. Fill out the form, send in your question or your comment, and I'd be very happy to answer your question. You might also want to give me a topic for a future episode. That's appreciated as well. So, okay, let's look at this first one. This first one's from Claudia. Claudia says, Hi, Tom. I commented on your Instagram a few weeks ago. I'm the one that dropped my A1C from 12 in January to 8.5 just this month. The progress continues, but it requires continuing to chip away at the weak spots. Currently, I'm perplexed by the realization that I crave sweets at the end of the day, after dinner. I've taken a page out of your book and added protein bars and shakes to my repertoire in order to at least bulk up my protein intake if I have to give in to the sweet craving. Even so, I alternate between that and some fruit, and as much as I'm keeping it there so far, I hate that it means a spike in my blood sugar reading late in the day, and I hate that I'm not addressing the cravings cause and instead finding ways to crave it, albeit with as healthy as of an option as I can manage. Do you or your listeners have any kind of progressive weaning off strategy that can be shared and put to use in the hopes that I curb the craving and not just the way I address it? Having a rough day today and I don't want to self-medicate with treats. Thank you for your constant positivity, Claudia. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for writing in. It sounds like you're doing a great job, actually, getting your A1C from 12 to 8.5 in six months. I think that's fabulous. I think your doctor probably thinks that's fabulous as well. Now, regarding your getting sweet cravings at night, I'm going to offer up two things here, and these work for me but I don't know if they're going to necessarily work for you or for anyone else. 
And I think it is a fabulous idea here that you reach out and suggest that maybe someone else listening today might have an idea to share with you. And if you do have an idea to share with Claudia, then please write in and I'll be sure to address it on the podcast. But Claudia, my two things that I can think of that probably has helped me in the past is, number one, make sure I'm getting enough for dinner. Make sure I'm getting enough for dinner that's filling. And when I think of filling for dinner, I think of meat and veg. So make sure I'm getting enough of that. Something I have to chew, that's something that's going to sit in my stomach for a while, and something that will not just simply be digested quickly, like a protein shake or you know something like that. Something that's substantial. Also, I have been known to put off dinner later into the evening. Now, I usually eat early. I usually eat around 5. But sometimes I've found that by waiting till say, 7, or 7.30 even, which for me is late, because I'm honestly, I start getting ready for bed around 9 o'clock. But by eating later, I don't give myself a chance to get hungry again. Now, if after doing all that, I still crave something sweet, I have to go get it, for me personally. Because if I don't, then I'm going to have a rough night sleeping, rough time going to bed, and I often will then just go overeat, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So if I have to have something, that's when I have my high-protein, low-carbohydrate treats. And I think I've talked about my Quest coconut, they call them candy bars because they taste and look exactly like a candy bar. But it only has about four carbohydrates. It has things like sugar alcohols in it that make it very sweet. I don't think I could eat two. But I'm still getting 10 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbohydrates. And something like that really seems to take the edge off. Now, as far as why you get you know, these cravings, I understand what you're talking about because I can get them too. I don't know why we get them. Could be something instinctive, could be something... Maybe your body's telling you that you're missing some other nutritive thing, something that's actually good for you, but it comes through your head as sweet. I don't know. A registered dietitian, a nutritional coach, those type of people might be able to explain better than I as to why we get those things. But anyway, delaying my dinner, having something substantial, but having it later at night, and then also, if I need to, going to get a treat that's sweet but not really sugary with real sugar are my tips that I can share. So I hope that helps, Claudia. Let me know. Okay, we are hearing from Stephen from Glendale. Hello, Stephen. It's good to hear from you again. Let me get through these two really different questions. The first one is not a question at all, but it's a thank you. So let me start. This is from Stephen from Glendale. Hi, Tom. I want to thank hashtag not sponsored Katie from Maryland for recommending Real Good Foods, which is the name of the company, as some substitutes for takeout foods. My local supermarkets are supposed to carry the products but were limited in their selection. After doing some searching online, I found out that Walmart, again, not sponsored, haha, <laughs> of all places carried many, if not all of the varieties from Real Good Foods. Needless to say, I picked up two of each variety I could find. That's even before I tried any of them. The nearest Walmart is 10 miles from our house, but as many of your listeners know, driving 10 miles in New York City traffic could take 10 hours. Wow. Thanks, Katie. 
I had General Tso's chicken last night and sausage, egg, and cheddar cheese biscuit sandwich this morning. Well, great, Steve. I'm glad that Katie from Maryland was able to help you out. I'm glad you found what you were looking for. And it sounds like you have a a go-to food that you enjoy when you're not able to cook for yourself. That's great. Okay, the second one from Stephen here, still from Glendale, says, Hi, Tom. I don't remember if I ever asked you about low blood glucose alarms from the Libre 3. I had a faulty sensor a while back, and I was getting several low glucose alarms, and I couldn't figure out why. I didn't feel any different, didn't have the cold sweats, shakiness, outer body experience, feeling that you normally would feel when your blood glucose drops. Have you ever gotten a low glucose alarm and not felt anything different with your body? The first time I ever got an LGA, low glucose alarm, I went right to the fridge to eat some grapes and or banana. After last night's General Tso's chicken, I noticed that my blood sugar didn't spike But around 11 p.m., I got a low glucose alarm. I ignored it and went back to bed. Around 2 a.m., my sugar was back up to the mid-130s. Now, for the urgent low glucose alarm, that's blood glucose readings of 55 and below, I definitely wouldn't ignore that. Just curious if you had any similar experiences. Well, Stephen, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Now, let me say, these blood glucose monitors, I think, are fantastic. Tons of great information. However, now that I've been using one for quite some time, and in fact, I've been using the Libre 3s for several months now. Honestly, at this point, I don't remember off the top of the head how many months, but it's got to be at least six, seven months that I've been using the Libre 3s. But I find that they do sometimes read higher than I would think they should or lower than I think they should. But... My way of looking at it is overall, over the course of 30, 60, 90 days, you know, in 90 days, you're going to be using at least six different sensors. And my thinking is, you know what, some are going to be a little high, some are going to be a little low, but I'm just starting to really just look at the average. I know I report my average blood glucose for the week because, you know, of course, this is a weekly podcast, but in reality... I'm only concerned nowadays with how it's trending over a month, two months, three months, things like that. And I have been finding that they do track fairly well with my doctor's office, A1C. You know, I was expecting an A1C here recently of 5.7, and the doctor's office said it was 5.0. And then I did some research, and as reported a few weeks ago, they can both be off by a little bit. But regarding your low glucose alarms... Honestly, I have shut them off completely on my phone. I would still get the urgent low glucose alarm, you know, a reading of below 55, if I had it in do not disturb mode. But at night, when I put my phone into, you know, sleep mode, if you will, so I don't get any disturbances at all from any notices or notifications at all from the phone, I can see the next morning that I might have gotten an urgent low blood sugar reading, but it doesn't actually ring through, so to speak. Even on my Apple Watch, which I wear when I sleep, it doesn't come through. So I don't get those alarms because I don't put faith in them. I can almost do a test to show that if I'm sleeping on my blood sensor, my Libre 3, if I'm laying on that, that 
it will cause it to read low. And I can wake up a little bit, roll over, and it immediately starts bumping right back up. Somehow the pressure on it doesn't let the, the fluid get in and get out the way it's supposed to. And that's a known thing. If you look up on Reddit and other forums, you'll see that the Libre 3 can easily cause a very low alert if you're laying on it. Now, so if you had type 1 diabetes, or if you were someone who was very concerned with these low readings, then I guess you would have to make sure you don't sleep on that arm or place it somewhere where you can't sleep on it. But for me, personally, I know that my blood sugar is not going down below 55, and therefore I don't care. I don't care about it. Now, that's just me. I can't recommend, Stephen, that you or anybody listening to this podcast would ignore the readings from their continuous glucose monitor. I'm just explaining what I do for myself because, you know, I've been living with this diagnosis for many years, and I know, for me, the one thing I do not have to worry about is to truly have low blood sugar readings. Now, if I were taking insulin or something like that, I would be dramatically concerned because that can be a life or death situation. For me, it's just not the case. So I hope that helps. And like I said earlier, if anyone else would like to comment on Claudia's questions or Stephen's questions here about his monitor, please write in, let me know, and I'd be happy to share that on the podcast. I'd like to ask you, speaking of sharing, I asked you about 35 minutes ago. I'm going to ask you again. Please, if you would, share this episode with somebody this week that you care about. Well, what's next for next week? Next week, I'm going to talk about something that is a little bit, I don't know, have to do with feelings, a little emotional. But I find for myself that, especially early on when I had this diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, and to some degree, even today, I deal with a certain level, an underlying rumbling, if you will, of fear and anxiety. Especially, I think, because I do the research for this podcast every week, I tend to read a lot about type 2 diabetes in the news, and I know how things can go. I know for the vast majority of people, things get worse and worse and worse. Now, I think I am being very proactive in preventing them from getting worse, but, you know, sometimes your body just does what it does. So I do deal with some fear and anxiety of, you know, this diagnosis of type 2 diabetes and how things might progress in the years to come. So I'd like to talk about that with you next week. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.